Oh yeah, what is up everybody? Welcome, welcome to the Artists of Data Science Open Office Hours. I am super, super excited to have all you guys here. Holy shit, man, the waiting room is popping off. There are so many people joining in today. I'm so, so excited that you all are here and I cannot believe that we have the data robot himself. Ben Taylor. What is up, Ben? How are you doing? Hey. Hey, man. I'm so happy you can make it. Oh, man. We got Tom Ives here. Hey, Tom. We've got a while. Monica. Oh, my God. And Giovanna. Oh, my God. This is uh, this is awesome, man. This is super, super cool. I can't believe how popular it is in here, man. I want to just say it's been so long. I was having Ben withdrawal. So I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Has it been two days, three days? Uh, yeah, we were on a panel in Africa. It was, it was fun. I saw that, man. How'd that go? Good. We we were enamored with ourselves. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Dude, that's so cool. No, it, I, it seemed like a great discussion. Um, seemed like Alexi and Ben and I were pretty well aligned, so that's always fun. No fisticuffs. But, um, you know, Ben, I was, I, I was laying in bed this morning. I was, for some reason, I was replaying some of our comments, and I realized, you know that fear you have that you made this highly waxed philosophical comment and you really didn't connect it back to the point of the show? And I, I was thinking that, that, anyway, this might be fun to say, sorry, I don't mean to take over the show, but. No, that's good. I mean, you woke up in bed thinking, yeah, thinking it, about it, that's, that is cool, man. That's yeah, it's just that. Perfection. Um, it takes so much focus to become a, a thorough full stack data science. And I'm not claiming to be one. I'd love to become one, but the amount of focus it takes is like being in grad school. And it's very rare in your lifetime that you get to afford that much focus to anything after school. No, absolutely. Uh, So I guess, how would you define a full stack data scientist? I know what a full stack person looks like. I've seen that meme floating around LinkedIn today. Full stack person cuts hair, cooks, uh, develops vaccines, and... A number of other things, but what what is a full stack data scientist? Um, I will I will answer first if Ben promises to fill in my holes. So imagine that you are a web developer or a SaaS developer, let's say, and so you're doing the back end, the front end, and you're going to add some data science tools in the mix. Maybe you've got some launch pages you're experimenting with, and they said we don't want to go get a data scientist for that. You do the uh, one arm bandit type stuff for figuring out which of these landing pages is most effective. And then you go ahead and do all the great data visualizations and all that. Well, I think where we all landed was to say, if you're a startup and you have as one of your uh, primary members in the startup, a full stack data scientist that can prove out the end to end solution, that's practical. But if you really expect to be successful with just one person on a SaaS, large sales gas and SaaS in the long run, that's kind of insane. And I'll let Ben fill out what I didn't say. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. I think the, the fun thing, my experience has gone from hoping to get a data science job, getting a data science job, being a data science manager, and then writing payroll checks to data scientists. And that kind of takes you to the dark side where you want to fire everyone all the time. Um, so I feel like there's definitely a sense of urgency. So it, I think the biggest spirit is just urgency. So just get things done. If you have to go search some stack overflow for some flask wrapper or some little missing part, do it. The front end engineers will make fun of what you did, but the fact that you did it in a day or two is super helpful. So like, can you build an app in a sprint? 
even if it's embarrassing, even if you had to bust out some PHP, like I, I started as a PHP developer. So all the front end developers make fun of me. They're like, Oh, gross. You still use that crap. But that's what I started with. So I, yeah. I, when I think of full stack, I think of urgency. Just yeah. Just the do it. delivering, getting stuff done. And you don't even need to necessarily be as part, you know, the, a data scientist at a startup, you can be the data scientist, the first data scientist in an organization starting up a data science practice from scratch and having to, to have all those skills. And, and that was the experience I had at HireVue for the first year. It was just me. And it was really helpful to have SQL experience because you didn't have to mother may I through the engineers and you could just kind of go pecking around and get what you needed. Where if you had to work through the engineering team, everything would have slowed way, way down. Yeah. That's so awesome. Hey, so we're here to help all these wonderful aspiring data scientists, up and coming data scientists. I just want to shout out a few people that are consistently in office hours. That's Christian, Hasib, Ashen. Thank you guys for showing up. We got Ashit here from last week and Garn, of course, is in the house. Thank you guys for showing up again. Very special guest today. We got Ben Taylor. We got Tom Ives. We got Dave Langer. We got Monica Royal, Giovanna, uh, Sasha, who am I missing? There's so many people on my screen right now. This is insane. Um, I thought last week was stacked. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, when you guys listen to this replay on the podcast, go to the YouTube channel and just see like the giant smile on my face, man. This is so cool to see everybody here. Um, so yeah, let's, let's flip it to the, to the students here. Um, well, I mean, I, I use that term liberally, but if you guys got any questions at all about breaking into si data science, about, project ideas, career advice, whatever. You can see here that there are a ton of people to give you some great advice and share their wisdom. So whoever wants to go first, by all means, go for it. Share our mistakes too. Don't yeah. What not to do. What's your top number one not to do besides oh. deleting production tables? Oh man. Actually, uh, I'm more sensitive to the mistakes I keep making. Um, Time management just sucks. Just like time management is the constant battle, especially when you're, you have meetings. I'm not used to having so many meetings. Like now in my new job, I get triple booked. Like I've never been triple booked before. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's constantly like, okay, not going to this meeting. And so, how, yeah, so I'm, I'm very, the thing that's top of mind is how do I sharpen the saw every week? And that becomes very difficult. And by sharpen the saw, do you mean keeping up on new oh. tech stacks or... New skills? Um, yeah, keep it up on new tech stacks. I do want to throw myself under the bus. So to throw myself under the bus, one of the mistakes that I have repeated too many times in my career is if the results are too good to be true, they are always wrong. And I've had like, this has come up like so many times in my career, you get a model and you're like, yes, the CEO is going to love this or this is going to change everything. The customer is going to love this. And you have to be, you, for people that are more seasoned, they're never optimistic. Like it doesn't matter what the model results are. They're never going to smile. They're never optimistic because they've gone through the pain of out, like skewed results or like all the reasons why you you were misled with good news. Yeah, something like that happened to me earlier this year. I had developed a model that was just performing amazing. Like I was legit clairvoyant with my responses, with my results rather, right? Like it was just so amazing. And I had to approach that with a bit of skepticism. Like actually, wait, I, I can't tell the future. So there's no way that my model is this good. And it turned out that I had accidentally employed the wrong cross-validation technique. I should have been using group K-fold cross-validation, but I was just using regular K-fold cross-validation. And after making that small little tweak, um, my results were kind of more in line with what I was anticipating when I was expecting. But I think, it's, I think that's the importance of just not just always 
learning and always reading up on stuff, but just doing things, right? Like doing projects and getting exposed to, to how things are happening in the, in the real world with real data. So you can be skeptical of results like that. We got Carlos here as well. Dude, this is this awesome. Carlos. Literally typed holy shit in the chat because I want to put on here. Yeah. So, Dope. yeah, dude, this is awesome. So uh, I know people might be shy to, to take the floor, so I will start um actually hopefully yeah yeah uh i if you, if you don't want to have to do the general start i, I kind of have some things i can jump in with absolutely uh i won't uh, take too long but you know i haven't uh, this is probably only week two for me plugging in here and uh you know really probably only last month or two plugging into the community in general and just been uh been amazed by how much everybody's willing to share and uh, this is a perfect example looking at all the people here it's, it's insane so just a quick background for my questions to kind of give it perspective is, you know, I'm, I'm a business guy who's gotten into data within probably the last one or two years. And so, uh, you know, when people talk about communicating with the business stakeholders, that's me. I'm that guy. It, it, my company, we do commercial management and things like that in my, in my group. And I'm also just really into data. And so probably more, more recently I decided, okay, I need to get more serious about this because I look around a company like my own, which is a fairly large energy company. And I see that we have done a pretty good job in the last one or two years of collecting data from our endpoints and our assets and things like that, talking uh, SCADA data, things like that. We, we have a good repository of that kind of information now. And so we don't really have a lot of people in-house, let's say, that can do stuff with that just yet. And we do have a few people that are interested in it, including myself, and we probably don't have the tools yet. So one of the things we're trying to do is skill up. But if I think about trying to spin up like a minimum viable product or trying to prove things out for senior management at a company like mine, people uh, who have done that before and several of you here I'm sure have, how should I think about approaching a minimum viable product at a company where we have good data, but we don't necessarily have the data culture and maybe at the highest levels of this company, we haven't uh, understood yet how to leverage that. Stay away from uh, machine learning. Heartbreak if I can, I'd like to just, yeah. Throw something out, and I think Dave and I were having some good <laughs> comment uh, support back and forth from his posts on this. But um, I like to liken it to a, a control system design when you have a feedback control. There's so much wisdom in that for how we interact with our business counterparts, Christian. And if you study that, those systems, you realize if you don't get frequent enough feedback on your current state and compare that to the state you want to get to, you can get into large uh, instabilities. And I think that is so true. Uh, I've tried to steer the comment space in LinkedIn away from you have to have good business acumen. Well, you might even have better, better business acumen than the business people you're working with. Probably not. I'm just saying, even if you did, what if they don't think you did? What you're trying to do is build that relationship, find out where they're hemorrhaging, find out where data can help them and give them just really small, tiny releases, frequent illustrations of where you're going and why, because they'll let you know right away if they understand what you're doing, if they appreciate what you're doing, if they think it's really going to have a chance of helping them. I think the, the first key for us to get data evangelism into the next age is to win these people over and to understand we're not earthlings. All of us on the screen, we are barely earthlings and we don't speak, we don't speak our native languages like our business counterparts do. So by just interacting with them more and showing we care, 
I, by the way, I'm being long-winded right now. Just replace everything I said with the four-letter word care by sitting in front of your business counterparts and just, do you think this is going the right direction? I think it is, but I care more about, do you think this is meeting your needs? And I'd love to hear what others think about all that. But I, I just think quit trying to develop it from, you know, to the final version, show several milestones along the way, even more than you would be comfortable with. I'll, I'll pull on that care thread real quick. So one of the problems with machine learning, there's too many things to do. And you're probably looking at that, Christian, when you look at like what's under the hood, you're like, oh, wow, like I got this data, that data, this data. And a lot of the vast majority of AI projects fail, but they don't fail because of the technology. They fail because you're working on the wrong problem. And in the spirit of caring, someone's paying payroll. They're not, this isn't like a postdoc position where you can, you know, just do blue sky research all year and no value. And so my recommendation, and I'm speaking from a history of mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes here. Try to shoot for like a one month target. Can you find a win in a month with some analysis? There's a really good chance you actually can't put budget that time in your normal working hours. You might have to work a little bit late, come in early, maybe work on a weekend. And then when you have the meeting, the temptation is to show all your work. I tried this, I tried that, didn't work. And I could teach you a little bit of statistics. Don't show any of that. Just get right to the KPI. Don't teach them anything and just say, I found a win, it's significant, and this is how we can validate it with experts, not with data science, with domain experts, technicians, or whoever actually knows the data. This is how you can justify what's happening. And what you'll find is you get one of those wins and you're now the superstar. You get one of those wins, money's coming your way, they're willing to take bigger bets. Maybe they'll let you do a six month project. And that, I've seen data science teams blossom, but you have to have the first win. The idea of doing like a six to 12 month moonshot. People hate that. From a business side, they hate it. And I think Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, what Ben's trying to say is what you can deliver to make yourself a hero is so much lower than what you're probably thinking. Yeah, and if I could, if I could riff on this a little bit as well, and I'm speaking from hard won experience, <laughs> which means I, I screwed things up the hard way and learned find just what Ben said. Exactly. Under promise over deliver. And the easiest way to do that is find a manager, find how they're compensated and find some sort of data analysis scenario that helps them make more money, bonus promotion, whatever. That's what a win is. That's what a quick win is. And once you do that, you're off and running. People love data at that point. They love it. Yeah, OKRs are the new KPIs. So like Dave said, find out what their OKR is. Find out what they're actually getting bonused on that quarter and make that number bigger. Objectives and key results. For those of you guys wondering what OKRs are, definitely get the book by John Dewar, Measure What Matters. Excellent book. Um, Christian, does that answer your question? Yeah, and then some. I mean, you know, obviously I'm a business-oriented guy, so a lot of that makes sense to me. Um, I've been on the receiving end of uh, being told about all the inner workings of a thing that I really don't care about. We, uh, at our company especially, have a pretty good feel for, for the big things that can, that can uh, drive our profits one way or another. And especially in an asset-based company, a lot of it's based on cost and expenses and driving those down, especially in this environment. Uh, so, you know, that reaffirms some of the things that I thought and then also gave me a lot, a lot more than I bargained for to think about. Appreciate it, guys. Awesome. So I'm going to go clockwise based on what's on my screen. So next, uh, Hasid, any questions? Oh, put me on the spot, why don't you? Uh, no, no questions. I just came to hang out, really. For sure, man. That is always welcome as well. Sasha, how about you? Yeah, I have a question for those who are just entering the data science and analytics field. 
for recent bootcamp graduates, let's say, uh, there is a common notion that data analytics is a reasonable route of entering data science field. So I was wondering if, uh, what do you think about that, if uh, for about people starting as data analysts and then transitioning into data scientists, or is there a better way of doing that? So leaving the bootcamp and starting as a data analyst before getting the data science title? Uh, this is interesting. This is a side note. So I have had beef with colleges that graduate their data scientists and a lot of them end up as analysts. And I see that as a failure of like a formal college because they haven't prepared them enough for them to go land a hundred and ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar job out of school. So they have to go land at an analyst position and earn. So it doesn't really answer your question. My my hope is that the boot camp would be good enough. They get a data science title right out of the gate and it's competitive pay. And competitive pay is like one twenty starting and up. Unless you live in the Bay Area, then it's 150 or I don't know what the numbers are these days. Yeah, I, I do live in a Bay Area, but it just seems the industry seems so saturated here and I've been searching for a while. So I was wondering, would it make sense to just adjust my expectations for a while, especially with the job market during the COVID being so wild? So I companies can... will change your title oh. too. Sorry. So if you land as a data analyst um, with the right company, they will change your title the first year. If you're delivering the value, that might be something you can negotiate. Sorry, I cut someone off. Oh, I was just going to speak uh, because I actually was in this position last year. Um, I did a boot camp. Uh, I did the data incubator and I actually didn't complete the program um, because uh, I was able to get a data science job. And I think the challenge was that the mini boot camps, they, they position themselves as like you do a boot camp for so-and-so weeks and you'll get a job after this. And I found that that's just really not the case it's more so they give you the skills um, to learn, which I definitely needed at that time, but they didn't prepare for, um, for like the job market or like the interview process. And I think the interview process for like a data analyst compared to a data scientist are, are completely different. And so for me, I was already working part-time as a data analyst um, for a separate separate project. And so I was able to leverage that into going to a data science role right afterwards. Um, but I think the main thing is like, um, for me personally, I think it doesn't really like the title, like as you alluded to, like salary wise, <laughs> the title does make a huge difference. But especially for your first job, I wouldn't focus on the title. I would focus on what value your role would drive to leverage that into the data science role. And so for me, like for, I got my first job as a data scientist and that was just timing and luck. I met the person at a conference and I convinced them. Um, but if it was a data analyst where I still would have took the same job because of the type of work it was doing, it would position me well to go into a data science role. I want to rope in either Monica or uh, Giovanna, if you guys have any input into Sasha's question, I'd definitely love to hear from you guys. Yeah, definitely. To add on what Mark said, I actually have uh, something against titles themselves. In some cases, uh, they're not what they seem. So you would apply for a data analyst role, but then you are required to perform things that a senior data scientist would be performing. So I would actually focus on the requirements and the duties of the specific roles versus the titles themselves. And not and also not trust 
those <laughs> role descriptions um, to the T. I've uh, been caught up in that as well, where it says, oh, you'll be using such and such tools or such and such qualifications, and none of that actually existed. So during the interview process, it would be very beneficial to ask them upfront, like what actually will be my day-to-day -day activities. And I'll just jump in. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that like, you're gonna switch jobs. Like you're not gonna stay wherever you're at. So get one that gives you really good stories and then just make the switch and don't tell them what your salary was. You can double your salary if you just don't leak stupid info. Like make lots of great narratives, crush it, and then omit whatever you gotta omit so that someone gives you the shot. Like, especially like, hate to say it, but you know, if you're not the right race, you got a funny sounding name, like you're gonna get, you're gonna get screwed over. <laughs> So, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. For me, it's like you got to do the money, good stories. Um, that's big clutch stuff. And I'm actually looking right now for a post that I saw earlier about like an online pseudo master's in data science, which is like better than all the boot camps. I'll post it in the chat. I really like what you said, Carlos. I think you, you have to fight for the job you want three years from now and taking that job today. Don't think about the job today. Think about the job you want three years from now. And the job you have today might be a fantastic catalyst to get you where you want to be. I, so, I was hoping, oh, let me, whoever was going to talk. Okay. Thanks, Tom. So um, this might be a bit of a heretical view coming from me, not a shocker. Um, but th here's the way I think about it. I think Monica's exactly right. You have to be skeptical of job descriptions. You have to be skeptical of titles. But here's the way I look at it. And I'm coming from the fact that I got a lot of gray in this beard. So I've been around the block. Oh, not as much as Ben, but I'm older than Ben, by the way. But the, here's the notion. Um, if the data scientist position requires you to regularly write and maintain production quality code, you're probably not qualified to do the job. And the reason for that is if you graduated with a bachelor's degree in computer science from Caltech or some other high-end school, you are also not qualified to write production code of any kind. That's speaking from 20 years of software engineering experience. So also keep that in the back of your mind as well. Can I really do the job? Because the worst thing possible is to land that, that data scientist title get that big fat paycheck, get on, the, get on the floor, get in the trenches, and you can't actually do the job to the level of expectation. That's, that's just gonna shoot yourself in the foot. So I would always think about that. And to Monica's point, if you're in an interview, ask them, are you expecting me to write and maintain production quality code as a primary aspect of this job? And if the answer is yes, consider what that means. I really think this discussion's moving in excellent direction. No pun intended there, Dave. But truly an excellent direction. Uh, you're supposed, that was your cue for a guitar riff just sooner. But anyway, um, I like to summarize it this way. It's a care level to this discussion. It's be, do, have. And Monica, I really like the way you were posing things. Always be a data scientist, or at least becoming more and more a data scientist. And then well, if you are a data scientist, you do data science work. Do the role you're in well and enhance it with data science. And before long, just to keep you, you could negotiate. <clears throat> you need to call me uh, a senior data scientist because that's what I've been, do been doing. Or I'm just going to have to take this offer I have in hand. You decide. I, really, if you concentrate on being a data scientist and literally loving data science. I think what Ben and, and Dave were saying, and Carlos, excellent words in my opinion, it, it's gonna happen. So I'd love to open it up to either uh, Giovanna or, or 
Kate. Kate Strachan is in the house, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so we're talking about the interview process there. So Sasha, hopefully that answered your question. If not, uh, let me know. And by the way, if anybody has a question, just please type it right into the chat. That way we can keep you um, kind of next in line. I'd really appreciate that, kind of keep things going. But I mean, there's a good portion of the data science interview process. Obviously, that is all about data science, but there's parts of it that are all about soft skills, right? So can we get your insight, Giovanna, on the need for soft skills in data science? Kate, as well, if you guys can chime in. Thank you, Harpreet. Yeah, um, I think uh, uh, how you present your, uh, Sasha, how you present your uh, your skills is, is an important uh, way of how they are going to consider you for the position. I think this is the, the most important part, your presentation. And, and a thing that you have to forget when you are doing a, an interview is that you are a beginner because you, you have to avoid to say, I'm a beginner, I don't have experience you have to eliminate these words, these phrases, because you have experience. You you have uh, do a lot of projects, I think, because in a bootcamp you have you have uh, had the opportunity of work with other people, and you have at, uh, maybe you have been part of a team. You have uh, to to do a lot of projects, and you have uh, learned from your projects because. When I did my bootcamp, I had a lot of mistakes. I, I get stuck a lot of time, and I and I feel this frustration, and I need to ask for information. And when you need to ask for information, you need to look for information. You are training that part of your experience as a data, the data scientist. Because when you are going to work as a data scientist, you are going to connect with other people. You are going to you need to communicate with other teams. You need to ask for help. You need to ask for advice. So you are uh, training your soft skills to be prepared to be an excellent data scientist. So I think you, when they said, oh, and what is your experience? You need to go and talk about your projects, the phases that you have to do where, where you uh, building your first model, or maybe the things that you learn when you do your first uh, deep learning model, you can talk about that because that is your, your experience. That is the things that you have to present. And then and uh, one thing that I always said is, if you have projects, you are better than a lot of people that think about, and they have a lot of ideas, but they don't finish any project. So a person who has projects finished that they have a, a repository that can show things that they have done, they are valuable because they are able to finish a project. So you have to present yourself in that way, that you are a professional, that you have experience. Maybe you don't have experience in a company, but you have experience doing uh, projects as a data scientist. I think you have to present. And the, the best part of this and the thing that you have to, uh, to keep in mind is that you have to believe in yourself. If you believe in yourself, when you're going to present to an interview, they are going to believe in you. 
research. You first have to believe that you are a data scientist, and then they are going to see this on you. Confidence is so challenging in the interview because people that land one data science offer, they'll quickly get two or three more because they have so much confidence. And people that are struggling to get the first offer that comes up in the interview, and no one wants, it's like dating. If no one wants you, no one wants you. If everyone wants you, everyone wants you. And so people that interview a lot and get good at it, they have the confidence, especially if you, if you can get a job offer like as an analyst. You're, yeah, so confidence is, it's the maker or breaker for people in the interview process. And you don't even need to have actual job interviews lined up to get interview experience. Like do mock interviews, right? Like go on to any one of my posts and you see people commenting on there or liking it that are aspiring data scientists or whatever, hit them up and just say, hey, can you hook me up with a mock interview? Reach out to people in the community on LinkedIn and just give mock interviews to I practice just want a mock that. interview. There you go. Guys, hit up Carlos for mock interviews. He will. You're going to regret saying that. <laughs> no, I'm not. I did 250 resume reviews this year. Yeah. I'm, uh, people, I'm doing every, if you send it my way, I will look at it, I promise. Giovanna kind of attacked me though with the people who finished projects are more valuable than people who have a lot of ideas. I was like, ow, I was yeah. just saying, yeah. I can't finish anything that I start for some reason. But also I just want to know, like with taking beginner and stuff off your resume and out of your language, it's really important to do that because I'll get resumes from people and they'll say like 50 technologies. And then I'm like, okay, you don't have 50 technologies. And then I'll see resumes where it's just like Python intermediate R beginner. And I'm like, dude, like I'd rather be the first guy who claims to know everything. Honestly, like you're sell like don't sell yourself short and you're not expected to know everything. Honestly, if it's on Google, it's like an inch away from your brain anyway. So just, just I've get seen, really good at Googling. I've seen so many resumes with MNIST and the Twitter sentiment example, like, like literally like 101 hello world, MNIST, deep learning CNNs, Twitter, like bag of words sentiment. Uh, chronic heart disease for... Uh, Titanic. Titanic. Throw in the Iris data set. People whoa, 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 whoa. come on now, people. Don't be, don't be insulting Titanic. That's like one of my favorites. Yeah, you guys oh, get come it. Come on now. It's, it was a good one. For, it's useful for reprexes. It's useful for practicing, but it shouldn't be the star of your resume because you want to be like, you want to have a, a niche that you're chasing. Like, oh, I'm, I want to do public health. So this is my public health focused project. I want to do finance, my finance focused project. I see resumes. The project is deep learning for finance and then cancer detection. And they want to do like retail analytics. And I'm just like, you're not, you're not pointed in the same direction. Yeah. You gotta be consistent, at least have a focus and pursue that focus. Uh, I want to open it up to see if either uh, Mana or Tashi or Suraj or Nishant has questions. I think, Mon, I think you messaged me on LinkedIn saying that you were really looking forward to Office Hours, so I'll give you the floor first. Well, I did message you, but I don't currently have any questions. Um, yeah, just listening right now. Right on, right on. Well, in, enjoy the, the chatter. Eric so, has a technical question in the chat. Okay, yeah, definitely. Uh, Eric, if you have a question, go ahead. I don't see you. Unmute yourself. And Oh, there, you're in the middle. All right, hey. unmute yourself and go for it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I was wondering, I've seen unit testing come up all over the place. Uh, I, think, I think I've definitely seen it, Carlos, in a few of your posts saying, um, do it. But I don't actually even know what unit testing is. And I was hoping you could explain that. So making sure that a big segue of like how much of data science should be software engineering because people will just go, software engineering, what are they doing? Oh, they're doing agile DevSecOps, what? Okay, data science team, do agile DevSecOps, whatever, human-centered design, whatever. So uh, that's just a yeah. note. Uh, so unit testing is the idea that 
if you have an input and you have a desired output, that input should always have that output, no matter what setting and what context. And you do the test in terms of like, oh, given my input is class character, I always get this return or this error. So it's just having a full plan for all of your, it can be functions, but it can be any module really. When you get into platform level stuff, that's, I think that's more of Thomas's and Dave's skill set. You have different kinds of unit tests, but the main idea so, is inputs and outputs should always match no matter what, given some set of instructions. So basically it's trying to break whatever you built in as many ways as possible. There's automated testing for that. Could also save you from breaking with like a version upgrade because the deep learning frameworks are infamous for this, that a version upgrade will break all your old models or even change the outputs. Um, so it saves you from that. So Eric, you're a R user, I believe, right? Uh, I'm more comfortable in Python, but yeah, I can yeah. use R as well. So, so Python, you can, you can explore the uh, PyTest package and get familiar with that. That really helps mm -hmm. automate um, test-driven cool. design type of stuff. So and in R, there's a test that. There you test go. that. Cool. Yeah, and I would and I would I would jump on what I would jump on what Carlos is saying. If you're looking for an analytics position and they're asking you about unit testing, you need to ask why. Why? My value proposition is not writing necessarily writing high quality software. My my value proposition is analyzing the data and deriving insights. Do you really need unit tests for that? No, you don't. So be sure to ask that per our earlier yes. per the earlier question that we were talking about. I think that was before you joined Eric. So, so actually in my role, I, I do write unit tests. So I'm, I'm actually curious of like, for, for like how do you distinguish between like, I need to write a data, uh, unit test for this like software engineering thing, software engineering component that's like implementing a data science component versus like writing a unit test for like my analytics, if that makes sense. So here's the rule of thumb I use. Am I going to get called in the middle of the night if it blows up? If the answer is no, you don't need a unit test for it. That's a good rule of thumb. I like that. Yeah, that's because I used to get called in the middle of the night back in the day. <laughs> it's not technical debt if the debt doesn't come due. That's dangerous. That's a dangerous one. I like it. I like that, I, yeah. I have just a slight counter to all of this talk, and I don't disagree with what was said, but if you're in a role where you're in a frequent release production environment, uh, I was doing algorithm development. It's pretty much data science, but kind of that and a little different, a little more. We absolutely had to rely on a massive test system before release to make sure that our changes didn't mess anything up. And it's a lot like what's been said, but once the system's built and you've got really good assert statements where you absolutely can't have a failure, it's really not too hard to build up and maintain a test system. But uh, Dave's point's well taken too, depending on your role, um, it, it may be crazy for you to be the one expected to, to write tests and maintain them. So let's say uh, Turn it over to Tashi, see if Tashi has a question. And if Tashi doesn't have a question, then we'll go to uh, to either Suraj or Nishant. Yeah, I don't really have a question right now. Just feeling right. the vibe. I'm loving yeah. it. Yeah, definitely awesome, man. Well, I'm happy you're here hanging out. Uh, Suraj, do you have a question? Um, no, nothing in specific. All right, awesome, man. Uh, we got a question from uh, Ashan Rana in the chat, too. Oh, awesome. Yeah, Ashan. Dude, there's so many people on the screen I didn't even see there. Ashan, how's it going, man? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Good. Um, first of all, yeah, good discussion so far. I, I wanted to address the salary uh, not like thing um, because my after my first like my first job as a contractor was very like low paying. So like when a recruiter reached out to me for a different job, I was just like, yeah, just whatever. But he asked me straightforward, like, what are you making right now? If you don't mind me telling, I was like, yeah, I'm just making the market whatever is the market standard for this position. And it was like a significant bump uh, into my new role. So that's that's that was a really like nice thing and nice like lesson I learned. 
Um, and also, like, everyone – I don't know what everyone's experience been with the recruiters, but for, for my experience, they've, they're, um, like, not in a bad way, but they're just not non-technical. So, like, I could get away with, um, you know, like, um, uh, like, like, talking about not getting into the weeds with technical stuff. Um, just letting them know, hey, yeah, this is how I am as a person. Uh, if you think it's a good fit, you know, let me know, like, basically. But my question was um, – uh, from this post I saw the other day uh, that Jason Kranz posted on LinkedIn. Um, basically, um, let's see. I oh yeah. So um, yeah, he just he was just talking about it's going to be in shortage shortage of business domain experts in the data science and analytics space. So I just wanted to see your guys' opinion on it. Like, what's your observation or um, predictions if you have any? He said there's going to be a shortage of business domain experts in the data science space. We have we have a uh, significant shortage of business domain experts in the data science and analytics space. That's what he said. Yeah, I think that's because people are just learning all the tools but not figuring out how to apply them. So going back to Carlos's point, it's okay. Quit doing the Titanic project and you know heart disease classification or whatever, and niche down. Right, like understand that there are different industries. Do some case studies. Learn what problems those data scientist in the industry is facing and then try to replicate those problems. I see Garen has some uh, input here. Go for it. Hey, um, yeah, I, I had actually a question about, um, you know, that, that transition from a data analyst uh, position to, you know, let's say considering I want to move towards a data scientist position and considering, um, you know, and that, that was uh, the question for the larger group was, you know, of course, um, a lot of what I might be able to explain would be, uh, you know, my uh, personal projects, you know, everything that I've done apart from my work, because I don't use like a lot of statistics, um, even SQL. So it's like a lot of Tableau and other tools, uh, basic you know, data analysis tools. So I want to understand, like from an interviewer perspective, is is it um, uh, in any way going to affect uh, you know, it has to be, for example, different data scientists who have been in that position before versus somebody who is trying to switch that, uh, switch to uh, that position. Uh, is that something, you know, maybe theoretically it might be possible, but I wanted to get, you know, because we have everybody uh, here who have a lot of experience. Is that, is that something that works out? Um, yeah. How so should we look at it? Yeah. So let's do this. Let's first uh, get Ashen's question answered and then let's get to the core of what your question was because I feel like there's a lot going on there. So to uh, address Ashen's question, does uh, either Ben, Carlos, Tom, uh, Dave, Giovanna, Kate, anybody want to chime in and say, is there... Well, I, I wonder if it's just kind of riding that theme or that wave because if I'm, if I'm speaking, I say data scientists struggle with communication and business acumen. Everyone's like, yeah, we've known that for a few years now. Um, so I wonder if it's just that a continuation of that where uh, my quick answer to this is I don't, I think data scientists need to start, they need to stop trying to own the, the business acumen in the domain, just get the people in the room. Who are the subject matter experts? Who are the people that care? Who are the people that can actually validate the results? Like move way past a statistical validation score. What's the KPI? What's the dollar amount you're saving? And if that person's not at the meetings at the beginning and the end, then you have a problem and I don't see that as a data science problem. It's more just, it's more networking and working well within an organization. Yeah, I would, I would wonder 
to, to the point of Ashton's question, and by the way, I tend to agree with most of the things that Jason Krantz posts, by the way. And if you've seen my responses to his posts, you know that. <laughs> yeah. I would argue that if you think of data science as being purely an exercise in technical virtuosity, do I know deep learning? Can I write production quality code? Can I do this? Can I do that? It's arguably not significantly different than just typical software engineering roles in general. And there's been a long gripe about business people with software engineers since way back in the day. If you're interested in using data to drive business results, call that a data analyst, call it a data scientist, I don't care, it doesn't really matter. If you want to use data to drive business results, of course it helps if you know the business, of course. And in fact, I would argue that if you want to make the most money, if you want to make the most money in a big corporation, you don't worry about technical virtuosity. You worry about business knowledge and you'd be surprised at how little statistics and how little machine learning and how little of this and that you need to know to actually make business impact and be an advisor to the executives. And that's where the real money comes in, generally speaking. So just decide what you want to do. If geeking out is what you're passionate about, sweet. Become an ML engineer, whatever, great, do it. But if you want to do analytics, yeah, you need to have, you need to have business knowledge to be the most effective, in my experience. And to fuse this question with Karan's question, um, I think if you're currently in a data analyst role doing a bunch of Tableau and you don't know what to do to make the next step, figure out, are people actually looking at my Tableau outputs? What are they doing with these Tableau outputs? What would it look like for me to just throw in a forecast into these Tableau outputs? Like make inch steps toward other people asking about modeling and data science work. That's the, like, that's the easiest transition. It's way easier to just like get a few people hooked on asking you for data science tasks than for you to switch to a totally new company and have them ask you for data science tasks. So, I mean, if you're already doing like good stuff with data and SQL and Tableau, like probably halfway there to something. So Monica, Giovanna, any um, comments on that? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, data analysts, data scientists, uh, the main point that you're trying to do is to solve a problem, to help the business be better, make more money, get more customers, you're just trying to solve a problem. So anytime that you are speaking to those stakeholders and you're presenting your results, you want to kind of start with the fact that you solved the problem and then not go into, as previously stated, not go into the deep dive into what tools were used because the high level well, the high level people don't really care, but uh, why you, you know, how you solved it and how that's going to make their lives or their business better and easier. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think as data scientists, as methodologists, like at the core of what we do is we use methodology to solve problems and methodology. I mean, does it rely on tools maybe to a certain extent, um, but not necessarily the only thing that we use. Um, so Sarah and Ravi joined in. That is awesome. Uh, Nishant, you've got a question. Uh, if you do, go for it. And everybody help me welcoming Sarah as well. Good to have you here, Sarah. Hi, thank you. Hi, guys. Um, first of all, uh, I'm very happy to see all the inspiring personalities that I've been following on LinkedIn. It was the first time I'm getting a chance to meet you and talk with you. So it is a great opportunity. Thank you, Harpreet, for setting this up. I'm here for the first time. So um, my one question is, uh, you guys have been working, contributing to the community, having family. So you guys have a lot of um, responsibilities. How do you guys manage your time? Uh, I know 
uh, many people have been talking on this topic uh, but uh, i i want to hear more about that can you give some inputs on how you manage your time do you work on specific days on your content uh, i just want to hear some inputs on that yeah definitely so let's hear from days, oh, go, go for it uh, i was going to make a bad joke so these days it's sleeping at 2 3 o'clock in the morning after studying and then having like six cups of coffee during the day so <laughs> time management's out the window so is sleep so is everything but yes. uh, there's a there's a lot to do and a lot to learn so you just got to figure out what's your balance that you can do before you go crazy i'd say balance and and clarity but i'd love to hear from either sarah or jivana how do you guys manage time So if I can step in here um well I know in the midst of all of covid and what not I'll speak from my own experience is that for a while I had a hard time doing that um so I had to think about take a step back from kind of all the responsibilities and all the things that were getting thrown at me and um kind of say no to things that I would have otherwise in a normal situation been you know been able to handle and so taking a step back thinking about myself and accommodating what i needed in this moment especially with you know kind of everything that's going on and then once you diagnose and are able to accommodate yourself in this moment kind of uh to what hasib said you know just like a lot of coffee and then and and also knowing how to say no to things and yes to the the, the things that are appropriate and that makes sense and so something that i've actually wanted to start doing recently is coming up with what my one three year plans are because i have a lot of different initiatives that i want to take on but understanding where i kind of want to lean into and where i want to focus my energy is important and so knowing what that is for yourself and um taking on the opportunities that allow you to get closer to where your goals are is important yeah i would like to add because excellent the, the answer i i love that <laughs> point of view is that uh, i think we, we all of us we work based on priorities maybe we want to do a lot of things during the week but i think we have priorities and i think we have to focus on that because maybe i want to do a lot of projects i want to uh, to help mentoring a lot of people and uh, but i i need to continue growing uh, in, in the things that i want to develop as a professional and in my personal life but i think when you have a priority it helps you to guide you to achieve your goal and your uh, personal statement because help to the community be part of the community work with the community grow with the community are the priorities so i think when you have the passion uh, as you said before you drink more coffee because you know that this is not just for you it's for a lot of people that is trying to grow and when you grow with other people is that you connect with that energy and i think you don't think about that you don't have energy or you don't have time i think you are going to do this because a lot of people is supporting you and and i want to thank tom because he is the one who every day inspire people and i think is that the way that he proposed ideas i uh, is it's a way of giving me uh, personally energy to continue thinking how to how can i help 
others and at the same time um, helping myself. I think this is a, a source of inspiration. Absolutely love that. Great perspectives. And I mean, just for me and whoever else wants to chime in after me, please go for it. Um, having a full-time job, data science dream job, mentorship platform, podcast, and a brand new baby, like the plate is full. So I only do things that are going to move me towards my goals, right? For a while, I was like, oh, I'm going to write fucking blog posts. That's going to be great. And then I'm like, okay, well, writing blog posts is as wonderful as that is, as much as I want to do that. It's not going to move me towards where I'm wanting to be, right? So I just get clear on precisely what it is that I want to achieve, what I want to accomplish. And once I get clarity on that, I will only do things that support that objective, right? So this requires introspection. Like I literally, I spent last Saturday, I sat, like it was like 6 a.m. I sat by myself for like two hours and just no, no, no pen, no paper, no distractions and just a thought and got real clear on exactly what it was that I wanted to accomplish by March of next year. And now everything that I do only supports those objectives. So clarity is key. You need to know exactly what it is that you want to accomplish. Uh, Monica, Ben, anybody else want to chime in with some time management tips? So um, I'm a big fan of sucking at your weaknesses. So don't try to fix your weaknesses. Just put a bandaid over them and focus on what your superpowers are. So try to like really focus like what is my superpower? What, where am I better than my peers? And dump all your energy into that. Um, because you, you can't be good at everything. And then the other thing that I think is helpful for people that post content on LinkedIn, the thing that's been helpful for me is during the day, if I think of something, if I, even on this call, like I just posted something, someone says something like, oh, this is interesting. You post it. That way I'm not stuck staring at my computer screen, scratching my head in the morning, wasting time about what would I write in the best post. And I'd be curious what other people think. My best posts are the ones where I'm being emotional or I'm pissed or I'm venting about something that maybe I should really delete the most. And those are the ones that get the most traction. And one thing I do, because there's lots of ideas that, that float around, right? When you're thinking about stuff to do um, is have a period of time where you just write down all of your ideas just to kind of get it out of your head into the physical world. Right. And then kind of organize them by, right. This is party one, party two, so on and so forth. And I typically plan my next day, the night before, and I'll take, I have like note cards right here and, and I'll write down the date and just like three things I want to accomplish. And it's never more than two or three because realistically that's, you know, that's enough to keep you busy the entire day. So yeah, I'm going to open it up to anybody Hi. else. Yeah. I want to be the contrarian really quick. Um, I would say just listen to your body. I did this whole thing in undergrad about the embodiment of mind and how like you're just, you're not your brain. Like you are an awareness of like a whole consciousness throughout your whole body and all this stuff. And the idea is just like, if you're not feeling like doing something, just acknowledge like, Oh, I can sit here for two hours staring at this IDE or I can go take a walk and like go read a book and do something else. Like just listen, like leverage your flow state. Like if you're like super productive, you're like in the zone, stay in the zone as long as you can. But if you're not in the zone, like don't just sit there and waste time beating yourself up over not doing stuff. Like my mentees will waste two weeks being mad that they didn't, get me an analysis that I asked for in time. And I'm like, wait, you wasted two weeks because you didn't finish something. Like if I still $10 from you, do you delete your bank account? Like it doesn't make any sense. So like, just listen to yourself. I don't plan any of my days. That's my big note. I don't plan anything. <laughs> I'm just goofing around. So I'm, I'm a big fan of like simple rules. Like just like either almost even cliche. So like one, and by the way, I think this is everything I'm about ready to say 
is actually more than just about whether you want to be an influencer on LinkedIn or whatever. It's also about if you want to work in applied technology in the business environment. I think all three of these things are exactly applicable to both sides. One, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle choice. My background's software engineering. That's how I started back in the day. I was a software engineer. It's not a job, it's a lifestyle choice. If you want to stay abreast of latest and greatest, you're going to have to invest time after work, nights and weekends, forever. That's just the way it is. You're just choosing that lifestyle. Two, relentless prioritization. Relentless prioritization each and every day, every hour of every day, week in, week out. And then three, and this one I learned from a GM at Microsoft, if it's not on a list, it doesn't exist. So make lists, make them in notepad, uses some sort of app, or just write them down on paper. Those three things typically are how I manage what I do and say, look, you know what? It's long hours is just part of the deal. Okay. So it's all about relentlessly prioritizing how I spend that time, basically. So those three things, you're probably pretty good if you follow them every day. So if I can summarize everything that people, everyone has said, it's a combination of compassion towards yourself. Just, you know, if you don't make progress on your goals, that is okay. Just get right back on track capturing what it is that you want to get done, get that out of your head into the physical world, prioritize it, use a list, and then track your progress against that, whether it's daily, weekly, hourly, if you're that neurotic. Um, but I, I think that kind of summarizes the advice that everybody has has given here. Uh, let's uh, move on. Dave, did you hear that? He said you're neurotic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Dude, dude, I'm the same way. I, I was following uh, Brendan Bruchard's high performance calendar method for a while. And I was like, dude, I can't fucking do this. Like, I can't be this granular with my day. So now it's just, here's the three things I want to accomplish today and just focus towards that. Um, let's see if we got any questions from anybody. Oh, man, there's so many people on the screen. Um, so Karen, I, had, I saw you had your hand up. So if you got a question, definitely go for it. If not, then Shweta, Shweta is calling from India. So it's like 4 a.m. for her. So if you got a question, you should go for it. Hi, I don't have any question. I'm just here to like listen to everybody. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for joining. I have a question that yeah, I, no one else does have one. Go for it. Yeah, so I'm on the ground floor of a new client. They have, they have no formal data collection, no data storage, no real plans. All they know is that this data is fundamentally spatial and they need network analysis done. And I have no clue what to give them that will make sense to them. Because I know a bunch of miscellaneous things about networks, but I don't know what will actually advance their stories for them. I mean, I'm not going to calculate a bunch of eigencentralities and then be like, here you go, this is what this is. Like, I could do all kinds of stuff that won't work for them. And I don't know what, I can't really figure out what's the simple first step. What's the data type? It's, what, what? Uh, it's, it's, at, it's like under an NDA. Uh, it's like international migration patterns for different disease outbreaks. So like you have like developing world, like the data is very narrative heavy. Uh, it's not formalized in any way. And they're just hoping to find some patterns or clusters or stories out of that data? They think there's something to do with network somewhere and they just want me to find it if it exists and tell them what it is. Okay. So this isn't a perfect fit for you, but it's a funny thing I've experienced. If you show any type of clustering or really advanced machine learning that begins to sh form some type of structure, everyone on the call will celebrate. Like we're so excited. Executives won't react. As soon as you color code it with a KPI, they're on the edge of their seat. They need to know what is happening inside this group or inside this cluster, or inside this visualizer. So whatever type of analysis you do, color code it with a KPI that they know, and they'll be paying very close attention 
to anything that's polarizing. That's helpful. I've done it the wrong way plenty of times. Harpreet, can I just type in on one central theme? I, I want to make, there's brilliance in this group, and I want to make sure that a brilliant thing that's being said round and round is not lost. It, it comes back to something, uh, everyone's touched on it a little bit, but uh, sometimes what we're taking to our internal partners can seem like salesmanship, but I think what we're really touching on it, it gets more to, uh, of course, like Ben just illustrated, understanding what really lights their fire, but probably more importantly, just it, it's more like relationship building, you know, really selling someone on, I want a business relationship with you. I want to bring the value of data to you and but giving it to them in small enough pieces in their language that they speak, like Ben just illustrated. If we just do that, uh, that's key. Learn to build, learn to sell. If you do both, you'll be unstoppable as a data scientist, for sure. Joe, my man, it is so good to see you here. Uh, this good is Good to see you, too. I yeah, think man. I got the time wrong, though. <laughs> so. No, no worries, man. We're, we're, we'll still go. I got, I got nothing to do after this. I'll probably show up next week, though. So. Oh, do you awesome, guys hold man. this every week? Or, like, what's the, uh, how does this work? Yeah, hold them every week. Like, I can't promise that it was always going to be this stacked every single week, but I can't promise that. At the very least, it will be me here. So oh, that, that, that is my promise. Cool. Uh, so let's see any questions from either Ashit or I think Seward said he did not have a question. What about, where did Nicholas go? I thought I saw him a second ago. There he is. Nicholas, how you going, man? Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, don't have any pressing questions right now. I like the, I like the talk about unit testing. I mean, I was, think, I was just doing a case study the other day, two days ago, and I found myself typing in like the keyword assert in Python and realizing I have no idea what it did, but it sounded like the right thing to do in a case study. And then I quickly stopped it and took it out and didn't know if I should be including that in like a, a simple Jupyter notebook model building case study, but it seemed wrong. So I ended up not doing it. And I think that's the right choice given what we talked about like production. And if there's not going to be a 1 a.m. call, which there wouldn't be in something that simple, I shouldn't include it. I'd agree. Yeah. <laughs> one, one resource that I really enjoy that helped me kind of understand, like, I mean, I don't do hardcore testing with my code, but something that really helped me was, um, I think his name is Ted Petro, Dunder Data. Uh, he had a course that was building a data and an analytics or data analysis library from scratch. And that was done heavily from the test-driven development aspect of things. And that kind of just gave me an appreciation and awareness for how that fits into the data science lifecycle. Um, so definitely, if you guys, it was like 10 bucks or something like that. It was super cheap, but well worth it. Will you type his name in the course or the module name in the comments? Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Yeah, so I just, I, I just feel obligated to say something here. And yeah. I might lose all, if I had any respect from anybody here, I might just lose it all. And it's okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for it anyway. I used to be the guy, the software architect, the team lead, where we would have a hat. And if anybody broke the build because of a unit test failure, they had to wear essentially the dunce hat. So I'm just using that to establish a baseline for, about what, I'm, for, for what I'm about ready to say. I have not wrote a unit test in years, years. And the reason for that is I analyze data. I don't build production software systems. I analyze data. Okay. So I know about unit testing. I know about software engineering. And I also know when it's not actually needed and when it's overkill and it's not effective for the business from a cost and time perspective. So I would just advise everyone just to think of that in those terms. Software engineering is not free. It costs money. It takes time. Is it really worth it? 
Just think about that. Although I would say um, to add to that, uh, not in a dunce kept way, um, like some of my friends work on this new uh, package, uh, it's great expectations. So sort of unit testing your data uh, for data quality. So we find ourselves more and more, I think, suggesting that people use this as a, uh, just a way to sanity check the um, outputs of your data. So might be something worth checking out. But today's point, there's a certain uh, threshold, right? Say uh, you're not writing software, you're analyzing data, right? So, but that said, uh, thankfully there are tools out there that allow you to um, test your data now. So that's pretty cool. Would you say yeah, that's, oh, sorry. But I was about to say, if I, was, if, I was, if I was in Joe's world as a data engineer, I'd be back to writing my DB unit tests just like I used to do in the old days, right? But mm-hmm. luckily, I'm, yeah. an an, I'm an analytics professional. I got people that yeah. handle stuff. If you got other people handling it for you, just forget it. Just do your job. So. Well, why yeah. waste brain cycles, Dave, if you're learning better at something else? Like if you're really good at analyzing data, get better at analyzing data and don't waste hours and hours and hours of time writing unit tests. Like the, so the thing that people don't really talk about that much openly is we are all dying. Like literally, like we have 2 billion heartbeats in a day and some of them are coming sooner. Every breath we take is closer to the end. And so spend time working on things you like. Don't write unit tests if you don't need them. You know, we're, we're smarter than that. Anyway. No, I absolutely love that. Um, like not to go off the deep end here, least I contemplate mortality every single day, remind myself. I, I like translating failed models into life lost. So yes, yes. You, you, you died a little bit with that failed model. I was going to ask a question. Would you say that unit testing, test-driven development is more important for data engineers than it is for data scientists? But going based on what Dave was saying when he was talking to Joe, it seems like that that's the case, right? I think it depends what you're doing in data engineering. Uh, there's sort of a continuum with data engineering where on one spectrum, you're uh, possibly writing a lot of code or using open source libraries and uh, you know appropriating those. So there's a code heavy version and I would definitely suggest writing unit tests or regression tests or any sort of tests to make sure your system works. Not doing that, I would say is professionally negligent and you should get fired for doing that. Um, that said, there's a lot of managed services out there where engineers on teams just kind of do this for you and you can pay them to do this. Uh, and the way I see things going now, um, you know, we just recorded a video on this on Monday, but you know, sort of the, uh, the continuum of really writing code versus using managed open source versus just using um, third party tools. Um, I think if you can get away from it, like Ben's, you know, to, to echo Ben's uh, Grim Reaper point, if, if something is not in your core competency, uh, why don't you just pay somebody else to do it? Like the argument I always use is you, when you need to get new tires for your car, like do you just make those from scratch? Like do you go to this, you know, do you, do you download the plans off the internet and like go to the, uh, the tire parts store and just like mill them and make, I don't think anyone does that in this group, right? So why would you um, do that with your, uh, with things that aren't your core competency? So, uh, but that said, if you have to write code, write unit tests, it's as simple as that for engineering related stuff. So if you don't, then I guess you, uh, I don't know, it's an investment in, in your time. So you can invest the time up front now to avoid I guess, alarming things happening to you later. So, so let me, let me open this up to either uh, Monica, Giovanna, or Sarah. What are some things that data scientists are not good at, but they probably should start getting good at? Hmm. A lot probably of things. Probably communication. Um, as I hmm and pause forever. Um, yeah. Just communicating with the right individuals as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of times 
I'll spend hours and hours trying to search for the right person and then I'll have a conversation with that person and then at the end they're like oh yeah that's not even me and so (laughs) getting everybody in the right room um, and also being able to communicate between the business people and the technology people kind of being that middleman and knowing the different languages and how to um, you know, talk tech talk with the tech people, but you can't transfer that to the business people. They won't know what you're talking about. And so if you know the two different languages, you'll be able to get what you need from each. Yeah, totally agree with Monica. And uh, I think you have to think uh, when you prepare your visualizations, all the, uh, the things that you have to show to your stakeholders or your team, you have to think in your audience, who is the people that Monica just had said that. Another thing that someone mentioned here, and I think was Ben, is to build a network inside the, the company. Because as a data scientist, you need information from a lot of of the teams and for example sometimes if you get the the data and you have problems to because the data is not in a proper way well we know that this is common but maybe talking with a person who is going to uh, enter or prepare the data that is going to to be part of your data set i think maybe you can gain a lot if you talk with the team that has to uh, enter the, the, the data in the data set. Or if they prepare, for example, the forms that the customer has to, to fill to have the information. I think connect with all these things, maybe uh, it's not just to send an email. Sometimes you have to go to the desk, meet these people in person, have a relationship with these people. And then when you send an email, the message is going to be different because they know you and you know them and you know how to talk with them. And if they have time, at what time they can answer your emails, you can connect better if you communicate better. Another thing is the teamwork. So you have to think that you are not alone. You are not building your, <laughs> your model alone. You, you, need, uh, you need a lot of people and a lot of information to build this uh, model properly because this model is going to give an output that is helpful for everyone in the company. No, I absolutely love that. And I think another important point is the ability to <clears throat> ask questions and find problems. And I think, Sarah, I'd love for you to speak on this because I absolutely love your headline on LinkedIn where it's question everything, answer with data. Uh, do you think data scientists need to develop their question asking abilities? And if so, how do they do that? 100%. One more thing that I wanted to add to what Monica and Giovanna said was that sometimes the companies are, it, it, it makes it that, so what they're saying is basically that communication or relationships is a big part of your success as a data scientist, data analyst, wherever you sit um, in the company. But sometimes the company by design or by construction is created in a way where there is isolation and it's a lot harder to break the barriers and get to the people who are your end stakeholders. So there's a lot more effort that needs to be made, I think, from depending on where you sit in the company to forge those relationships. And so, like, for example, I work on um, the revenue strategy team, and I'm very connected to our sales team. So the models that I end up producing versus the 
you know, the engineering or data science team that is a little bit further um, in relation to the sales team end up, you know, making naive assumptions potentially because their involvement and their um, kind of relationships are a little bit more um, spread out. So uh, depending on where you sit, you may have to, you know, put in a little bit extra uh, time and effort to create those relationships. In terms of curiosity, yes, I think this is huge. I think um, one thing we don't do well enough that I try to encourage, and even when I was um, instructing, is that you know you can learn the tools, and the tools are a means to kind of getting the result that you want. But if you don't know what you're aiming for, and you don't know what questions you're asking, and you're not helping guide the conversations in the right way, it ends up being a lot of unfortunately, wasted time potentially on things where the KPIs, the success metrics weren't defined up front. Um, <laughs> and so to someone in the room is needed to kind of align cross-functional partners um, to, to kind of where the goals are and to asking the right questions and then, in, and then in the back end kind of getting the right data set. I think, um, is it Cassie who did a really good talk on kind of the inherited data versus data that you've constructed yourself. And so um, kind of understanding what types of data you're dealing with and whether or not you need to go seek that yourself as a result of the new questions or the guidance that, that you're getting. So and when it comes to like KPIs and metrics and stuff like that, that's really not something I think you can get when you're just going through like a boot camp or doing personal projects. Right. So how do we, develop an understanding and awareness and appreciation for constructing KPIs, understanding how they impact the business. Like, is there, do we read reports from, from companies, look at the financial reports? Do we read, like, you know what I mean? Is that question making sense? Yeah. I want to say a lot of this, I mean, probably other people have, have uh, opinions on this as well as I read a lot, <laughs> especially in the domain that I work. And from that, I just generate conversations, whether or not people are initiating them or not. I just, <laughs> I just start creating conversation where I feel like maybe the, uh, the response is just like this group, right? It's like we all value each other's opinions. How can we just put questions out there, things that are on our mind, and just start having a discussion about it? And so, so, so I would just say continue to read up, even when you don't feel like reading something, if it pops up in your email, just open it, <laughs> open it, see if it's interesting, and then maybe try having a conversation with people about it. Love oh, it. can I jump in really quick? So, yeah. so I get a lot of emails from potential vendors and they don't do their research. They don't know we're a consulting firm that we're not, we're not relevant for them anyway. But what I'll do is I'll like actually ask them, can you give me a case study of what you've done for others. And what I've gotten is like crazy useful case studies that I've been able to use in my business development. I'll do informational interviews with their team, learn about their products. And then I'm like, oh, like I have a best friend at Mapbox. I have a best friend at like all these other vendors. I have Data Robot, whatever. Well, not Data Robot, because uh, Michael left. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, like it's really interesting how much information people will just give you for free that are like super usable. So like follow those emails, meet random people in random industries, like networking so useful i think that was relevant sorry if it wasn't <laughs> no definitely definitely relevant uh, so i'll open it up for maybe like a last question here and uh if not then we'll wrap it up guys thank you so much for everybody that came out uh last minute questions now is the chance where are you gonna put the chat notes Lots chat, of yeah in the chat. yeah definitely chat notes um they're going to be saved in the show notes both on youtube and on the podcasting i'll delineate them with a bunch of asterisks so people can read them um, but yeah, if 
I mean, thank you so much, everybody that showed up. I was not expecting like the entire LinkedIn community of data science influencers to show up at one place at one time. That's mind boggling. Um, but thank you so much for coming through. And I hope you guys show up again in the future. We've got Office Hours again next week. Um, even though it is Black Friday, um, I live in Canada, so whatever. It's just a regular Friday. Um, and then we've got like a few more of these Office Hours left for the year before we take a break. I'm looking at the calendar. Last Office Hour before break is going to be on December 18th. And we'll take a break for a couple of weeks, obviously, for Christmas and New Year's. Um, Thank you so much, everybody, for showing up. Hope you come back. Super happy to have you guys here. Take care. Have a good rest of the weekend, and we will see you around. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Harpreet. Thank you so much for putting this on. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, everyone.